So that's what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about endless appetites, and we're in this series called Consumed. Uh, before we get into it, let me introduce myself to you. I'm Dion Garrett, one of the teaching pastors here, uh, and let me invite you to bow your head as we uh, pray. Father God, thanks for your, thanks for your love that is, uh, as we just sung, is, is more than enough for what we need in life, God. Um, I, I pray that you would speak to us today, God, and that you would breathe freedom into us in an area of our lives where so many, so many of us don't feel like we have true freedom. So God, I, I pray that you'd come and that you'd work and you'd set us free by the power of your word. In the name of Christ, we ask this. Amen. So uh, let me ask you, how many of you grew up as children of the 80s? Show your hands if you did. It's a good number of you. Some of you um, look like you grew up in the 80s, but you don't want to admit it. Um, 80s were awesome. Now, if you grew up in the 80s, if you just raised your hands and said you grew up in the 80s, how many of you believe that Pac-Man is the most awesome video game ever? Right? You should, right? If you grew up in the 80s, you should feel this way because, because Pac-Man actually was introduced in 1980, right at the beginning of the decade, and uh, it became this pop icon of the 80s and far beyond. Do you know that Pac-Man is the highest grossing video game franchise ever? You know that? I mean, more than all these fancy video games that cost millions of dollars in development and, you know, shooting things up and lifelike. And no, 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 Pac-Man is the, is the biggest grossing video game franchise in the history of video games. Pretty impressive. Now, for me, I, I didn't actually, you know, I wasn't a teenager in the 80s. I grew up in the 80s, but I was age 3 to age 12. Uh, but I always like to say that um, I grew up poor, so I was a decade behind on everything. So I still feel like I grew up with Pac-Man in my teenage years. But those of you who were there originally, when, when, it, was, when it was coming out the first time, when Pac-Man was big, you can remember what it was like, right? The dark, smoky arcade. Because for those of you who are younger, there were actually these video arcades all over the place, and you'd go and play video games at a place, and you'd put in quarters. And, and they were smoky because everything in the 80s was smoky. It's just how it was. And uh, you, you can remember the big hair and the, the shoulder pads and, and the young guys trying to wear mustaches, trying to look like Magnum P.I. or whoever else. And uh, you remember the 80s, and some of you want to forget that, but, but you remember it. And, uh, and you remember this game, this game Pac-Man, which was so simple, and yet it was so addictive. You, you just had this little yellow guy, you know, a little circle with the mouth. Uh, chomping pellets and trying to dodge ghosts, right? That's, that's all he did, just level after level after level. And yet it was, it was so much fun. A great, great video game. But here's what I'll say. Uh, I don't want to take any love away from Pac-Man because it's a great game. Uh, but living that way is a really sad way of life. You know, that's why we got Pac-Man up here, and that's why we're talking about it. Because it makes a great game, this idea of gobbling up as much as you can, going to the next level and doing it all over again. That makes for a great game, but it makes for a lousy way of life. And if you're not sure about that, I'd like to introduce you to someone named Solomon. Um, I can't actually introduce you to him because he's dead. Uh, a long time ago he died, but I want to introduce you to some of his words in just a second. But let me tell you about Solomon. He was, he was a king of Israel, the most wealthy, well-known, prosperous king of all of Israel. And uh, he was also a man known for his wisdom. Solomon was a man of, of great, great wisdom. And, and I hope you know the difference between int in intelligence, between intelligence and wisdom, right? They're kind of different. Um, intelligence is what allows you to win at Jeopardy. But wisdom is what allows you to win at life, right? 
Uh, wisdom, wisdom is that stuff that's just, it's sometimes really practical, but it's also really deep. And it's more about life than it is about facts or things. And, and Solomon was gifted by God with incredible amounts of wisdom. So he was the wisest man who ever uh, lived um, up until his time. And, and so Solomon used that wisdom and that wealth and he used his life in a very interesting way. He used his life as an experiment. He, he was kind of a flower child before that was a thing. And, uh, and so Solomon, what he did was, was if, if something could be eaten or drunk or experienced or tasted or smoked or anything else, Solomon did it. He tried it all out. And if any of you are thinking, oh, that sounds good, you know, here's a biblical example of someone who tried it all out, don't do it because here's the thing, Solomon had this wisdom guiding him and so he didn't get caught up in any of it along the way. He, he, he lived life as an experiment to see what was really good, to find out what was really meaningful and lasting and what was, uh, what was worth pursuing. And, and luckily for us, he didn't just do it for himself, but he wrote down his findings in this book of the Bible called Ecclesiastes. So if you've got a Bible, I invite you to open it to Ecclesiastes 2. Um, if you've got a smartphone, you can turn that on like I'm doing and uh, go to the Bible app from Uversion or go to uversion.com and go to live, type in STJSTL, and you will find Ecclesiastes chapter 2 um, there in a menu board for you. Take a second, and you can go there. So again, the words of Solomon, who's running this great life experiment to find out what actually matters, what actually is, is meaningful and worthwhile in life. Here's what he says, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. He says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure actually accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. So, so you get a little bit of an introduction there. Solomon says, you know, I, I tried out all different kinds of pleasurable things. I, I, you know, he went through a college age experience where he drank a lot of wine up in Michigan, it was Boone's Farm. Have you ever heard of that? You can call that stuff wine. Um, but uh, he drank a lot of, of wine and uh, folly. He tried to see if that was worthwhile and just, you know, being lighthearted and goofy and foolish. And, and he says that was meaningless. And, and yet I wanted to find out, okay, so what is life all about? What, what really matters? What is good? How do you use these very few days we have under the sun to their maximal impact? Uh, he goes on, verse 4. He says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Um, you know, I remodeled my bathrooms and I put granite in my kitchen, right? Uh, so he's doing all this stuff, uh, great projects, tries that out. Verse 5, he says, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. So here's some extreme landscaping. Makes your retaining wall project this spring look small compared to what Solomon achieved. He says, I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. You know, just a word about slavery in the ancient world here in ancient Israel. It wasn't like um, North American slavery. These people were more like servants, endangered servants, and, and uh, so it's kind of a different thing. But, but he had all these servants, he had all of these herds. That's how you measured your wealth uh, in the ancient world. 
But not only that, verse 8, he says, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. Solomon was a king, and yet he says, I amassed the treasure of kings. You know, plural, multiple kings. He had a lot, more than just one king's worth, several kings. He said, I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. I'll leave that one alone for now. He says, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. So, so Solomon says, you know what? I pursued it all. Great projects, you know, more comfortable life, beautiful things, uh, all the signs of wealth and prosperity, all the, all the things that you could pleasure yourself with. I pursued every one of them. And for some of you, you're thinking, man, I just, I just, wish, I just wish I could get a hold of one of those things. You know, I, I just wish I could finally be financially stable, or I wish I could be successful at, at one area of my life. I, I, I wish I could have success in some, in some sort of sport, or maybe I could just have the greenest lawn in the neighborhood, or, or anything. I would settle for one thing, and Solomon is a guy who achieved in all of these different areas of life. Enormously successful. Experienced a great full life on many, many fronts. And yet, here's what he says. Uh, Verse 10, he sums it up. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, verse 11, yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So, so Solomon, I mean, he goes after all of it and he actually gets it. He doesn't just run the rat race, he wins. Uh, he beats the Joneses at their game. He, he comes out on top. And yet he says at the end of it, he says, you know what? It's all empty. It's all vanity. It's meaningless. Now, I know this is what pastors and churches are supposed to tell you, right? Things won't make you happy. Money isn't the way to happiness. And and you know what we do? We sit here and we politely hear that and we go, yeah, that sounds true. And then we leave and we go living just the way we did when we came in. But I got to tell you, this, this is not a small thing in any of our lives. See, I think this issue of misunderstanding what Solomon was just trying to teach us in Ecclesiastes 2, this is what is killing so many of us in all aspects of life. This is what is killing our relationships. This is what is making our marriages unhappy. This is what married couples fight about all the time. This is what is, is got you unhappy with your job. It's a great job. It pays the bills, but it doesn't pay enough. This is the thing that's got you struggling with your sense of purpose, This is what's got you sidelined maybe in your relationship with God even. See, this is not a small thing. Solomon says this is a very big thing. And if you don't, you know, you don't take it from me because I'm I'm 35 and I haven't achieved much. But Solomon did and he says, you know what? It's empty. It's vain. It's meaningless. In fact, if I could, I just want to boil down for you uh, because this book of Ecclesiastes, it's fascinating I'd encourage you to read it if you've never read it before, because it's a whole study of what really matters in life, and uh, it's kind of depressing, uh, but, it's, but it's really worth reading, uh, because it gets to what really matters. But, but if I could just boil down for you some of the things that Solomon learned, and that he uh, wrote about in Ecclesiastes, 
I'd love to do that, especially as it relates to our appetites. Here's three things. You can write them down real quick. First one is this. Appetites are God-given. Solomon learned that appetites are God-given. Appetites are there for a reason. God gave us our appetites for a reason. And, And the reason is this. God gave us appetites to drive us toward things that we need or that people we love need or things that the world around us needs. See, appetites are there to drive us toward things that we need, good things. See, everything that you really need in life, God has given you an appetite for it. So for food and relationship and, you know, all this stuff, we'll go into that more in a minute. But, but appetites, in their essence, at their core, they are good. But here's what also uh, what Solomon learned, the next thing that he learned. He learned that appetites can never be satisfied. See, this is where appetites go wrong. If we think they can be satisfied, we're headed for trouble. Appetites can never be satisfied. That's why on Thanksgiving, right, Thanksgiving, you can sit and you can eat so much that you're like, oh my gosh, I never want to eat again. I'm so full. I'm swearing off food for a month. It's going to be fruits and vegetables only for me from here on out. I'm never going to do this again. And then two hours later, where are you? You're in the kitchen making a sandwich, right? Seeing what sweet potatoes and gravy and, you know, turkey all taste like on a bun. I mean, you're, you're, just, you're just like, it's, what, what happened? Two hours ago, you said you were never going to eat again. Appetites can never be satisfied. That's not what they're there for. They're not there to be satisfied. They're there to drive us towards things that we need. So I could summarize it this way. Our appetites are meant to drive us, not to consume us. You need to write that down. Appetites are meant to drive us, but not to consume us. See, what happens if we think those appetites are meant to be satisfied or if we make our life's pursuit trying to to satisfy some of those appetites, they will never be satisfied and we will end up instead consumed by them. And we all know how this works, right? Uh, Let's start with food because that's an easy one. Appetite, you think food. See, see the, the, the appetite for food is a good thing. It's what reminds your body that it needs to eat, Right? Uh, And not only that, but it it drives you towards finding good food and experiencing all the different kinds of great taste that God has given us on on the planet. And and, uh, and that's a good thing. But if you try to fully satisfy that appetite, and if you make your life's goal satisfying your appetite for food, you will end up consumed. And in the end, you'll have a very ugly relationship with food. It'll be something that you you love and hate, something that you feel guilt about, something that stresses you out. You may end up overweight or obese. You may end up on the other side of the scale. You may end up skinny fat. You know about skinny fat people, right? People who are unhealthy. You know, if you looked inside their veins, it would be like nasty arteries. It'd be like, ah, all kinds of stuff. And yet they just don't gain weight. So they think that they're okay, but they're not healthy right? That's not good either. That's not what God wants. See, what happens when you, when you think that that appetite in you can, is meant to be satisfied and you make that the goal of your life to satisfy it, you're forgetting what that appetite is for. You're allowing it to consume you and that takes you to an unhealthy place. Same thing with alcohol. You know, I, can, I can show you a dozen places in the Bible where it says that alcohol can be a very good thing. It lightens the heart. It brings cheer. It You know, it allows people to be merry. And yet what happens when you make the satisfaction of that appetite, the goal of your life, you end up being a drunk. And instead of being light and cheery and fun, you are heavy and weighty 
and filled with despair. We talk about sex. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an appetite that God has given us. It's our body's way of telling us to procreate. But not only that, it's our soul's way of reminding us to reconnect with our spouse regularly, right? It's, it's God's way of reminding us that we are created for intimacy and closeness. It's God's way of bringing us back together with our spouses. And uh, if you're not married, notice I said spouse. That drive is a way to tell you to get married someday and uh, not to live the single life um, uh, needlessly. Or we can talk about comfort. Uh, you, you know, I, I believe that the appetite for comfort is a God-given thing. Because I, I, I believe God gives us that because he wants to remind us that life isn't all about work. Uh, in the Bible, he gave us this thing called Sabbath, which is about rest. And, and God wants us to sit back and enjoy sometimes. And so I, I think the appetite for comfort that we all have is a part of that. But if you make the satisfaction of that appetite the goal of your life, if you allow yourself to become consumed by it, what happens? You move to West County. Right? I mean, n- nothing wrong with where we live. It's a great place to live. And yet what do we find? We find that, that we move here, we live here because it's a comfortable place. It's a safe place. It's a place where we can raise a family and, 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 it, and it's convenient and things work easy. And, and we have these houses that are, that are big and they're comfortable and we fill them with things that are supposed to be comfortable. But what happens? We end up working so hard to pay for all the comfort that we never get to enjoy it. It's a sign that that our appetite has gotten out of control and we become consumed. And that's all Solomon is saying. Appetites are good, but they're not meant to be satisfied. And if you make the satisfaction of your appetites the goal of your life, you will become consumed by those things and they will own you rather than driving you. They will own you. Or as Solomon says, you will end up living a vain, empty, meaningless life. Now tell me that's not exactly how you feel, at least in some part of your life. That, that you have allowed an appetite to own you. And it's no longer even pleasurable or good. It's, it's nothing you enjoy. It is now in charge of you. It is driving you. And, and, and instead of feeling full, you feel empty. That's not what God wants for you. God doesn't want you to be owned by anything except him. The Bible says that you were bought at a price, and the price was Jesus Christ giving his life on a cross for you. And God bought you not so that you'd be his slave, his, his whipping boy or girl. That's not what God's all about. God bought you so that, so that he could set you free, so that you could know true freedom. And, and yet so often we let these appetites impinge upon our freedom. See, let's talk about the one aspect of our lives that probably unites all of us here in in this time and in this place. Uh, Let's bring it all back to our our possessions and money for a minute. Let me say this again, okay? The drive to make money, the drive to be successful, the drive to provide, I believe it is a good drive. I think the Bible teaches that it's a good drive. God has put it in us for good things. In fact, Solomon says, you know, in Ecclesiastes 2, we, we just read it, um, he says that, that he looked back and he took inventory of everything, and, and that didn't really do it for him to say, look at all the stuff I amassed, but the only pleasure he found in all of this experiment was the hard work. You know, he said, the hard work, that's what I enjoyed. 
along the way. Work is a good thing, and the drive to work can be a very good thing. And, and some of you, you know, you've got, you've got a deep drive. You've got an appetite for work, and you've kept it in balance, and it's been a good thing in your life, and, and you've been able to take care of your family. Maybe you've been able to provide jobs for other people, and you've helped other people put food on their table for their families, and that's a good thing. And you've helped other people put their kids through college, or maybe you've done it for your kids, and you've given them that gift of an education and a great start, and, and that is all good. You know, the drive to, to make money has enabled some of you to become successful, and you've given thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars away to charity, to, to noble things, to godly things, to things that, that matter to God and help people. And that's a good thing. Who wouldn't say that that's a good thing? And yet, when this appetite, like all appetites, when this appetite stops driving us and it begins consuming us, that's when we are in trouble. Uh, I want you to hear what First Timothy 6 says. It speaks about this specific issue of appetites that get out of control as it relates to money and possessions. Paul writes, he says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Now hear this, verse 9, he says, People who want to get rich. Notice he's not saying people who are rich. That, that may be the case or it may not be. The difference, he says, is people who want to get rich. Do you hear that? It's people who've allowed that appetite, that drive to make money, consume them. When they've made the, 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 that appetite, the satisfaction of that appetite, the goal of their life. People who want to get rich. See, it's not about people who are rich or poor. It's the people who want to get rich. And they belong in every, uh, you know, every economic class. But here's what he says. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Hear what he's saying? He's saying when you allow this appetite for money and possessions to consume you, it's a trap. And it will plunge you into ruin and destruction. He goes on. He says, for the love of money. Again, not money, for the love of money. Money is neutral. The love of money, the desire for money above all things, the appetite that is out of control and and that becomes a consumptive thing for us, the love of money is, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. You hear this? See, every time he talks about it, he's talking about the appetite that is out of control. He's talking about people who are consumed And he says, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith even and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, now here's what I bet happened with some of you as I was reading this. You were listening to those words or maybe you were doing your grocery list or whatever, I don't know. Uh, But hopefully you were listening. And uh, as you were listening to those words, you immediately thought of someone else in your life when you should have been thinking about you. And let me just tell you, the funny thing is, as you were thinking about someone else, someone else in this very room may have been thinking about you. See, if you think this isn't a problem in your life, you're deceiving yourself. You're in danger. Because when appetites for things become our obsession, you will feed them at all costs, and the result will be, as Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, you will pierce yourself with many griefs. In my humble opinion, this is where we are in America. 
This is why we can't get an economic model that works. This is why we can't balance a budget. This, this is why we in America as Americans have more stuff than we've ever had in the history of the world, and yet we are more unhappy than we've ever been. This is why in West County, it doesn't matter how big our houses are or how nice or the stuff that we have. It, it, this is why we, we always think that the next purchase is going to do it for us. You know, right now, I, I mentioned remodeling bathrooms. Me and my wife, we look at our bathrooms, we're just like, we hate our bathrooms. They're just hideous. And wouldn't it be great if we had new bathrooms? And you know what? We'll probably remodel our bathrooms someday because they need to have it done. And yet, here's what I know, that when I remodel those bathrooms, it's going to be the same man using them. I'm not going to change, Right? It's not going to make me into a happier person, a better person. My friends aren't going to be more impressed with me. None of that's going to be true. And yet, and yet, and yet inside of me, there's something, there's something that says, just, you know, gosh, you know what? I bet if you just remodel those bathrooms, you'd finally be happy with your house and life would be great, right? Don't we do this? See, see that's what Paul's talking about. That's what Solomon is talking about. If we believe that, we, if we just, you know, if I just satisfy this appetite, finally I'll be happy, we're going to end up pierced on many griefs. Um, and a lot of you, you know, you, you've, been, you've been pursuing this so hard in your life, making money, being successful, providing a nice life, that, that you have neglected other things in life to the point where you are feeling the pain that uh, Paul talks about in First Timothy. You're feeling the grief of a life that has gotten all upside down and out of balance. And that's not what God wants for you. See, here's the thing, you know, this isn't the first time a church has talked about this stuff. This isn't the first time a pastor has, has shared these words from 1 Timothy. It's not even the first time we've done it in our church probably in the last two years. We, we talk about this stuff all the time. And, and yet you'll listen, and you'll go on, and you'll live life the same. And here's why. Because you think I'm trying to take something from you. Or you think that God is trying to hold out on you or to keep something great from you. You, you will always struggle with these words. It doesn't matter how true to life they are. It doesn't matter how wise they seem to you. You will always struggle with these words as long as you believe that God is trying to take something from you by teaching you about money and possessions. If you believe that God is holding out on you, you will never, ever be able to take hold of this and begin to make changes in your life and experience the freedom that God wants you to have. See, God is not a God who wants to hold out on you. And he's not trying to keep good things from you. He is a God who wants you to have freedom and life and fullness, and he wants you to be involved in bringing that to other people, which is the greatest blessing under the sun. But, but as long as you distrust God and think you know better, as long as you distrust people like Solomon who lived it, experienced it, and, and you think somehow you know better and it's going to work for you, although it's worked for no one else on the planet, you will find yourself pierced with many griefs. I am not a fortune teller, but I predict it here today. Write it down. I'll sign my name to it. But that's not what God wants for you. See, God wants to spare you from grief. He wants to spare you from being pierced. That, that whole word pierced is interesting to those of us who study the Bible a little bit. Because it reminds me, at least, that God so badly wants to spare me from being pierced that he allowed his son to be pierced in my place, literally allowed him to be pierced 
so that I could be spared from grief. And God the Father, he allowed his heart to be pierced with grief. Why? Not so that he could take anything away from me, but so that he could spare me from destruction and ruin. See, God wants great things for you. He wants fullness and freedom and all the things that you want for yourself, but he wants to show you a different way to get at it, a way that actually works. He wants to free you from being consumed. And next week, you know, we're going to dive into this and we're going to talk about how Jesus, how how he can bring you more value than anything else in your life. And so if if you're just sitting here feeling like I'm beating you up and and maybe I am a little, but I'm beating me up too, just know uh, I'm self-inflicting some wounds today. But, but if you really want to know why Jesus matters, come back next week. Make sure you're here next week to hear about how, how Jesus Christ can fill your life with so much true value that, that the, the value of the things that you own will be diminished. Come back next week, for, next, next week for that. But today, here's all I want you to do. I want you to heed this warning. I want you to heed this warning from God and, and ask God about the state of your appetites. Ask God to to help you have appetites that drive you towards good things, but appetites that no longer consume you. You know, there are lots of ways to do this. If you're married, you you need to start talking seriously with your spouse about what it would look like to begin to reorder your life to put appetites back in their place. Don't let this just be a convicting message, please. Um, you, you owe it to yourself to, to go deeper into this, to find the freedom that God wants you to find in this area of your life. Uh, if, if you're in a family, um, you need to talk to your kids about this at a very young age, about what truly will satisfy them, because they're getting messages all over the world about other things, and, and they, they are getting that appetite for things kindled in them. And so before they even have money, it's a full-blown inferno. Um, in our Growing Deeper this uh, week, this series, we've got weekly challenges, challenges for you throughout this uh, whole series. And uh, this week we've got a challenge for you that's kind of fun, uh, and you can modify it to fit your family, but the challenge is this, stop spending money. Um, not on your mortgage or gas for your car or the essentials in life, but, but stop spending money on, on you know, going out to eat, on new things, on new clothes. Stop spending money for a week or two weeks. Some of you, you may even have enough food in your pantry or in your deep freeze that you could not buy food for two weeks. And you could just run a little bit of an experiment on yourself to see if these appetites in your life are out of control, if they're now consuming you instead of driving you. Because here's what will happen. If if you stop spending money and you start getting the shakes, you know you have a problem, right? If you're just like, if you're making a list of all the things you're going to buy at the end of the two weeks, you know, uh, if you're putting piles away at Target and you're saying, just save this for me, I'll be back in two weeks, then, then uh, you, you've got a problem with this. And, and, and that's good for you to know because then you can invite God in to help you get this appetite back on track. See, see God doesn't want you to be a, a monk and, you know, sell everything and move out to the desert and take a vow of poverty. That's not what God wants. Every appetite you have when rightly exercised will lead you towards something good. But God also wants to help dial back those appetites that are consuming your life and causing trial and pain and grief far beyond what you can imagine. He does because he loves you. And you owe it to yourself to investigate this 
to see if there's truth in what God's Word says, and I think it'll be transformational for you. So that's your challenge this week, is to heed this warning and to, and to make a change in your spending over the next week or two uh, to, to reflect that, and, and you can read more about that in your Growing Deeper. Here's what I want to do for us, though, as we, uh, as we uh, get ready to move into communion. Um, I want us just to take a, a second to acknowledge that we all have appetites that have gotten out of control. So will you stand, please? And will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for being a blessing, giving, wonderful God of abundance. Father, thank you for wanting good things for us and creating a world with so many good things that are meant to be enjoyed, that are meant to enrich our lives. God, thanks. God, thanks for giving us appetites to drive us toward those good things. Because we might never experience some of the great things that you've created us for were it were not for those appetites that you've put into us. God, thanks for our appetites. But God, we acknowledge before you today that we have allowed some of our appetites not just to drive us, but to consume us. God, every one of us has something some appetite that owns us. For nearly all of us, uh, money and possessions are at least one of the things, but God, there are, there are so many other things, and, and we just admit that to you right now. That, that we've allowed things to get out of control. That we've not heeded your words of warning. And they are, they are good and fatherly and loving words, and yet we have, we have not heard them that way, and we have gone off our own way, and we have pierced ourselves and others with grief. Father, forgive and restore and teach and instruct us, we pray, in a new way of life where we can enjoy good things, where we can own things but not be owned. That's my prayer for us, God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who was pierced for our transgressions, the one who was crushed for our sins, the one whose punishment brought peace to us, the one whose wounds heal us. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.